Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 223. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of What If, episode 7, What If Thor Were an Only Child, directed by Brian Andrews and written by AC Bradley, who is the head writer of the series. But before we start talking about the parte prince, just want to let you know about Fan Show Plus, the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers either on patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. So if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, you will see our subscription option so you can gain access to Fan Show Plus. And the latest edition of Fan Show Plus features me breaking down Marvel Studios and WandaVision's performance at the Emmys, as well as Disney Plus Day and Marvel Studios and even outside of Marvel Studios things that we can expect from Disney Plus Day. And I also talked about Victoria Alonso's well-deserved promotion at Marvel Studios. That's at Fan Show Plus, which you can gain access to via Apple Podcasts or, as I said, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R or just hit the link in our show notes. And then make sure you are following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to do so. And now, on with our show. Paul Herman, are you ready to partay? Well, um, after being sick for on a week again, I would say yes, I am ready to partay finally now. Um, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of getting sick from, from a daycare for my daughter. So I'm ready for that to be over. But other than that, I'm ready to partay and get down, you know? All that stuff. That's fair. Yeah, not being sick is a key ingredient of being able to partay. So. Yes. In this episode, um, I this is going to be a tough one for me to talk about, which nothing Marvel Studios related is ever really tough for me to talk about. But I would just say as fair warning, not the same fair warning that I gave for the zombie episode a couple weeks ago, I liked this episode of What If. The reason I gave the fair warning is because it may seem like I don't, because I feel like the criticisms that I have of this episode, I have more to say about those than I do the things that were good that I liked about this episode. Overall, I had fun with it, which I'm sure was the the objective of the Party Thor episode, obviously. So it's hard for me to really say that I didn't like the episode or I had a bad time with it. I didn't at all. There are a couple of things that came up in the episode that I bumped up against. Um, and also, the from a character standpoint, it maybe wasn't as engaging or insightful as some of the other episodes have been in What If. So it's a little more middle of the road, although really I would say maybe lower tier of What If, but it's still well above, for me anyway, uh, the zombie episode, which those of you who listened to that, uh, that spoiler review know that I wasn't really a big fan of. But Paul, I think... I'm pretty sure you like this one at least a, a little bit more than I did. I It sounds like it. We talked a little bit before the episode and, you know, and, and you talking now. I, I, I like the episode. I don't think it's one of the best. I, I enjoyed myself. And that's, to me, and with anything, like, like we talked about with the zombie episodes, 
it's not about other people liking it or, or whatever, or other people's issues. And even like for me, I, I, I like a lot of things that people don't understand why I like it. And the, the only thing I have to, I say about a lot of things is sometimes you can't explain why you like it. You just like it. And yeah. you know, I, I, and I don't think this episode's necessarily, necessarily in that vein maybe maybe after we talk sean i'll, I'll agree like okay maybe that there is a reason this you know for me to say yeah i just like it and i have no idea why um as far as like just i like it um you know as far as being defending the episode but i yeah i i don't think this is a, a episode where it's gonna be in my opinion just a like like a, it's a clunker or it's it, it's it just it ser- it had a purpose to serve to tell a very fun story we'll get into a reason why i think they're telling this specific story and i think it's for two one main conflict um but besides that and, and granted we can talk about the other ways to get those people together or whatever but i i just really enjoyed seeing this kind of different take on thor and in the mcu specifically um as a as a what if comic book reader I've seen many iterations of different characters and that's why I love the series so much. And this being a different iteration of Thor, it definitely, it has heavily handed on the, or, um, uh, leaned itself on the humor aspects. Right. And, And it seemed like more of a fun aspect of the, what if series where a lot of what if stories in the comic books, there's humor, there's humor episodes, but they're not really the same thing as what we got here. It was a little bit more serious, but really, you know, heavy on the humor side or, you know, aspect of it. So I, I think from, from everything, all that being said, when I sat down and watched it, cause I did see people have mixed reactions on it. Mm-hmm. And when I sat down and sat down and watched it, I, I didn't have any problems with it. I, I'll be honest. I didn't watch it again. I didn't feel like I needed to watch it again, like the Killmonger episode. But at the same time, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I definitely, there's parts of it where I'm like, man, this is really, really, you know, really, really fun. So when we break this episode down, I think, you know, people are going to probably, you know, there's pro- people on both sides, Sean, they're probably going to be like, you know, yeah, I like the episode and people like you who may not love it completely. And I don't know, maybe there people, I don't know if there's a lot of people in the middle. There are always people in the middle, but I'm not sure how there'll be less people than there were probably on other episodes. So I like the episode. I like seeing the standpoint. I love hearing Chris Hemsworth talk um, as Thor and act as Thor. Yes, so I, Chris Hemsworth's a, vocal performance in this goes firmly in the plus column for me. Like he's yeah. hilarious in this, and um, Kat Dennings also hilarious in this. Like I think Darcy had some really funny moments she in this did. that we will I get agree. to. Some of her funniest moments, like period, and that's not faint praise for me because I've been a Darcy fan since day one. You have so you have. Uh, I, I thought that she had. She's always been pretty funny uh, in my book. But comedy, of course, being subjective, but. On my side of things, I've always thought she was great in the MCU and was so happy for her to be back in WandaVision earlier this year. And I thought she had some comedic high points in this that I really, really enjoyed. So, like, it's not something where you mentioned I was kind of laughing to myself internally, not into the microphone. But when you mentioned how you don't think there's a lot of people in the middle on this episode, and I kind of feel like that's where I'm at, like the middle, but lean, definitely leaning positive. I feel like that's where I'm at with this, which is part of what makes it difficult to podcast about it. Nevertheless, here we are. I sold you on. Yes. But <laughs> because like, it, it, if you have a strong opinion on something, positive or negative, then it's very easy to just go ahead and express that and, and go through right. it. And maybe that's what you have for a lot of people who maybe aren't necessarily talking as much 
about this episode is, okay, that was fun. And then just, you know, go back about their day. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But I I have been surprised by some of the negative reaction. I guess not that surprised because I agree with a lot of the criticism. So if this episode wasn't your jam, I think I totally get that. Um, there, I actually saw more just within my own timeline. And of course, beware your own bubble. It can generally just be misleading. But in my social timeline, in my feed, I actually saw more negativity around this episode than I did the zombie episode. But then again, this is a podcast where we express our opinions um, and we can't worry as much about what everybody else is saying. Yeah. We don't really know. And the people can speak for themselves on the platforms they have. But Nevertheless, uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about this episode. And the way that it starts, I I like. I like that they chose to just start it pretty much the same way, at least the same setting, at least, um, as the first Thor film from 2011. So we're opening in the desert. The one ingredient that's missing from this scene, as well as the entire episode, is Eric Selvig. I don't know if Stellan Skarsgård wasn't available, although if availability is an issue, we know they recast people. Maybe they just felt like he would have been one character too many uh, in this episode that has a lot of stuff going on. But I kind of wish Selvig was there. But anyway, we've got Jane and we've got Darcy. And Jane is on a bit of a different mission than she was in Thor. But there is the first Thor film. But there is a reason for that. She's tracking a potentially dangerous alien invasion because of an incident that she observed 18 months prior. And because of that, you know, that whole chain of events was set off by something else that's different that we will get to when we get to the backstory that sets up this alternate timeline. But anyway, she's looking for this event and it looks like it's about to happen again. And then the aliens arrive. They touch down in Vegas with the Partey Prince, of course, Thor, and then uh, also quick shout out to the animators and character designers and whoever else who added the person wearing the pineapple shirt, paying homage to Taika Waititi uh, or, or also Korg, uh, who was wearing, I mean, Taika at Comic-Con wearing his famous pineapple outfit. And then Korg wore it, of course, in Avengers Endgame. So uh, I liked that. And then we got the arrival of Thor, where my issue, my first issue that I bumped up against, Paul, it was in the backstory slash explanation so as the title implies what if thor were an only child well thor is an only child in this timeline because odin after finding little baby loki returned him to king laufey and so because of this thor didn't learn all those lessons that living with loki taught him and so as the watcher explains grew into a very different prince And that is why we have Party Thor. But this is where I just go full-on continuity nerd because giving Loki back to Laufey, I guess it's fine for the purposes of Thor being an only child, but it definitely doesn't set up Loki showing up again later on in this episode because if we remember what happened in Thor when Odin was telling us this portion of the backstory... Little baby Loki had been thrown out. He had been discarded for being a runt, for being small, for a frost giant. So the little piece there of like Odin giving the baby back to Laufey like it was some lost child is not really the way things went down. And and Laufey's not going to be greeting that baby with a smile. He's just throwing him right back out as as soon as Odin turns around and leaves. So... 
yeah, we're, we're kind of betraying who Laufey is. And that's where I, this is a more forgivable thing for me than my bigger complaint that will come later in the episode. But I feel like it's one of those things where I, I'm a little confused as a viewer of how different things are supposed to be and when they're supposed to be different. And with this episode, I, I think, you know, I, I'm feeling like there are some moments where obviously this one has much more comedic aims and it's trying to go almost parody in tone or sometimes not almost like flat out parody. So mm. I try my best to roll with it, but it's a little difficult to just take this as pure parody when it isn't because it is still part of this serialized multiversal type of narrative from uh, from the MCU and, and throughout the multiverse where based on what happens at the end of this episode, it's definitely going to link up to other things, to other events. So these are the types of things that it's tough. Like I, it's hard for me not to bump up against right. these things sometimes, even though like I'm trying to tell myself we're just being silly and having a laugh here. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I like you, I, when they first showed us this whole scene, I went, wait a minute, didn't they? And again, in this version, um, I don't know the 616 universe version exactly off the top of my head. Um, but the MCU version, I know it's because he was a runt and he threw him out. And I just kind of thought, okay, they, but they, again, the whole reason to have this whole what if thing was to get this, you know, him to be as, you know, an only child and how that's important and blah, blah, blah. So you kind of, I just roll with it. And again, it's, it's one of those things where like, I just, because it's what if, you know, I mean, if it's a regular MCU story and they're like ignoring that, that's way more a bigger deal. Right. So I, I, for me, maybe I'm just being more forgiving because of the, the, I, what exactly we're, we're watching. I just don't, I just kind of roll with it. I'm like, okay, I get it. See, it's, I could you know, do that except for this. Uh, there's a couple things that change that. Like if, the, if what see, if you're right. Yeah. If what if is what we originally thought it was, which is like, it doesn't count. It plays with MCU ideas and characters and events, but it doesn't actually count. But based on the way things end with Loki, and you have the, of course, the the breaking of the sacred timeline, these things do count. And no, they don't count in like the sacred timeline or the prime MCU timeline, but they count for something. And internally, these stories are counting for something because it seems like they are destined to intersect uh, for these last couple of weeks. So because right. you have you are building on an ongoing story that does have to some extent you know some level of canon that's a part of it then it is a little bit more difficult for me to just write off these things as eh, anything goes here like in the yeah, comic it- books anything did go because whatever happened there wasn't really uh, going to have any sort of potential effect anywhere else yeah so when you know they first started bringing that whole thing up with 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 Luffy, you know I, I immediately thought to myself okay Maybe this this version of Luffy is you know different. Maybe he's a little not as cold. No pun intended. Um, in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, maybe this is where they're going with it, and and whatever. Again, the whole purpose is get to be him by himself, and obviously, to set up the eventual, you know, scene eventually later on in the in the episode as well. Obviously, mm-hmm. so again, for me, you're right. Again, with with I, I don't I always I I stay away from spoilers. I have no idea if if they're all going to team up. If, again, it sounds like it's going to happen. I, as what if itself as of right now, I I just roll with it. And I, and I think a lot of people just want to have fun and just kind of okay. Just I, I I just have no problem with it. I I just had no real issue with that part. And 
again, it's definitely a stretch, a giant, giant stretch. And it, but you bring up good points later, you know, later on that this episode does that many, many times. And that I would agree with you, but this is the one that I, it's the main one. And I'm like, it's what if it's multiverse, maybe Luffy's different and they just don't talk about that part, which again, like you said before too, the problem is, is that it's supposed to be one event changes everything, but this is a little bit different. This is the episode where you have to bend many, 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 many different things. Not just one thing that leads to all these other different instances, but like, sure, we're talking like major, you know, major things that will be different. And I think that's kind of the issue that I think that you're having. And I, again, I discovered later on in the episode, but I, I had so much fun with the episode that I just didn't really care. And I, and I don't know if this will have a greater effect on, I guess, besides the ending, I guess. But as far as Thor goes itself, I don't know. Well, it remains to be seen. But as as far as this part goes, it didn't bother me as much as 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 you did. I kind of rationalized it as much as I could. Well, yeah, I, I would say that the amount of time I've spent on it is probably disproportionate to how much it actually bothered me. It's just one of those things where it it doesn't really it conflicts with what happened in the MCU. And I I understand that things are different in these timelines. And it's not necessarily that it's just one choice that's different and then everything else is the same. But if we are saying, and they kind of put this in the socials of like, here's the Nexus event that leads to this timeline as they start their build up to whenever one of these new episodes is going to drop. I don't know why I say whenever it's Wednesdays, but as they go <laughs> into this whole process, like the talk about the Nexus event. So in theory, everything should be the same up until the point where Odin gives the baby back. And maybe, who knows, like, maybe there's a, a line of dialogue that would have fixed everything. Like, Odin not only returned the baby, but convinced Laufey to, like, keep it and not throw it out just because he's undersized. I don't know, maybe. Um, but I, I also know that there is an inherent, like, silliness that is the intention here. And that's why... Laufey is smiling and like Laufey doesn't really smile about anything although he does crack a smile or two in does, Thor yeah, when, yeah, when he, he thinks does. he's going to kill Odin um, yeah, exactly. but, uh, that's that's about it so yeah I, I don't really there's some of that stuff it, it just doesn't it, it doesn't work well within what I already know about the continuity of the sacred timeline in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so that stuff it's a little bit of a bummer it's hard not to bump up against it but also I, I balance that with I know we're doing things differently here, and with this one, we are a little bit more parody in tone. We're definitely being very, very silly here. So it didn't like derail it where now my arms are crossed and I'm ready to hate the rest of this episode because then it was picking up for me uh, after this, and I was having a lot of fun with it. So when we're back in Vegas in the present day and it's party time and Scourge shows up and we see... Of course, Jane finding Thor and that whole bit where Thor is having like four different scrolls look like him. Like, now do me. Oh. Now you do me. Now you do me. Oh like, God. that was great. Uh, Darcy saying like he's a hottie McScotty and like looking like he came from an old school Abercrombie catalog. Like, all of that stuff was great. And then like, you know, Grandmaster and uh, talking about how he loves cake. And there's Topaz right there who we do eventually hear from voiced by, of course, Rachel House. Um, and Thor's line about like when Jane approaches him and talks about Thor as in like the Norse god of thunder. I don't know anything about horse gods. Like I laughed out loud at that. Like that was really funny. And then we find out like the stakes for Jane. 18 months ago, the alpha star Icarus died and there was an astro anomaly that in a planet was destroyed. There was an astro anomaly 
that preceded it that happened again tonight. So, of course, Thor must have been the one who caused it. And she's asking if that was you. Did Party Thor kill a planet is essentially the question here. Spoiler alert. It's a spoiler review. He didn't. Um, but then we get to like Grandmaster being DJ and like the whole release the phone bit. I was loving it. And like Nebula as she's like shooting dice at the craps table. Mama needs a brand new eye. All of that was awesome. Like Valkyrie showing up, Drax showing up, uh, Darcy and Howard the Duck getting married, which was like, that's a bit much, but whatever. Obviously, this is the the space we're in right now. Jane and Thor getting their magic and science tattoos. All of that stuff, like I was on board with. This is totally what's supposed to be fun and crazy and wild about Party Thor in What If. So for this stuff, doing exactly what this episode is totally meant to do, um, I was enjoying it. You know, and this is where I was 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 dying laughing when all this was going on, and I love Howard the Duck showing up. I love you know Darcy. This is where it really fit her character, and and she really shined. I will say, um, going back to our previous conversation a little bit, when Selvig wasn't there, I thought that was weird. I'm like, that's weird. I'm like, because again, going back to the idea of. You know, it's all supposed to be the same except for just that one little difference. I mean, why wouldn't Selvig be there? Well, things at that point are different. Like, um, Selvig's absence isn't the only thing. Like, Jane's first call, like, when she realizes something's about to happen, she calls and asks for the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. She barely knew who S.H.I.E.L.D. was in Mm, Thor in 2011. But what's different about this is the existence of party Thor because party Thor did this thing 18 months ago, which put Jane on this mission tracking these things. So I'm sure that's when she learned more about shield and knowing there's a director and to attempt to call the director and, and all of those things. So anything that happens after the point of Odin returning the baby, like is sort of okay for me, at least as it pertains to Thor. Really? If, if you go by, what I'm saying as a criticism here for Laufey, then the only really thing, the only thing that should really be different about this episode is that Loki should never show up because he ne- he didn't make it, um, right. which okay. is okay. you know obviously a really horrible fate for young baby Loki. So um, I, I it's not so much it's not so much I'm saying oh we should have seen Laufey like kill baby Loki. Absolutely not. Uh, that's not what I'm yeah, uh, that's not that. what I'm saying here. Uh, I just wish there was maybe a, a different way okay. within the setup of Thor being an only child. Um, I, I, I would change it. It fixes the whole thing for me. If you say Laufey didn't throw out baby Loki or like, you know, like that's, yeah, you could change it like that. Cause then I'm like, okay, well then it's, it's Laufey making a different decision as opposed to like Odin mm-hmm. just kind of carelessly right. dismissing the idea of obviously this baby was thrown out. Um, so maybe I don't that's give him back. Thinking, yeah. And that's what I was thinking was there maybe a more maybe when he brings him back, Lafayette's like, oh, my God, I thought he had already died because of, you know, again, they don't say that. That's I, yeah. I put that on there. And that's not really always fair to put that on the audience. Right. That's not going to always work. Anyway, back to the whole party scene. All this stuff was was great. I love seeing the idea of of Thor with no responsibility whatsoever and how just how much he depends, he, you know, he depended on that relationship with, with Loki. And, and I think not just with Loki himself, but what Loki's, you know, interactions with other people and how that affected him and how all of that all, you know, helped him, you know, at least become, you know, he was still an arrogant person, obviously in the MCU, he became, right. you know, what happened in the beginning of Thor. But I think that, you know, he, 
he became it, it's like you know all that whole idea of it, it becomes uh, times you know 11 when he doesn't have all the other things he did learn through Loki and all the people through Loki as well um and being and having that that brotherly love um with you i mean i think we both would agree anyone who has siblings that you know I don't know what I'd be without my older brother. Like it'd be like, I don't even know if I like comic books cause he's the reason why I love comic books. So, I mean, there's something to that. And I like that. I love that idea. And I love the idea of, of, of that, that super irresponsible, you know, brashness is so just out, out the door, you know, or it's, it's so just crazy that he becomes a party animal. That's all he wants to do. And he's so powerful that no one can really stop him from doing, being a 24 hour, you know, party person. So I love seeing that played out here uh, for, for laughs in the MCU. It was it, this to me was, you know, this and one more other part or the or main reasons why I love this episode. You know, again, they're short episodes, so you can't really, you know, you only have a few things to lean on already, but sure. At least with this, I loved all these Easter eggs and all these callbacks were, were just great to have in the MCU. I loved when Loki shows up. It's, I mean, I mean, this is where I would agree when he shows up and he's all a, a frost giant. I'm like, well, that's weird. Well, he definitely he grew out of being a runt. Uh, that yeah, for sure. Like, Which uh, hey, look, you know what, Loki, if he had been allowed to live, and he right. has an entire life on Jotunheim as opposed to Asgard. He eats whatever they eat on Jotunheim and he catches a growth spurt and he's fine. And he's on like, you know, equal level height wise right, with right. most other frost giants, whatever. Uh, that's I, I guess that's fine. I think there it does sort of beg the question, though, of like if this is who Thor is and he doesn't listen to his mom and he just goes and he parties and, and that's it then, like, wouldn't Odin have already done, like, the whole banishment thing? And, like, before he does the Odin sleep, instead of leaving, like, Frigga and Heimdall with his very, very reckless and disappointing son, doesn't he, like, discipline him? Uh, take away Mjolnir, put an enchantment on it, more on that later. Um, do any of these things? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, that's where... I. Uh, that's where we just have to... I, I just have to accept the silliness of it where... And it is... It's a little easier for me to do that on this episode than, let's just say, the zombie episode. Because right. the zombie episode, I guess the difference is, outside of Nick Fury, who I guess you know takes a shot from Korg in this one, nobody's really getting hurt. Nobody really seems to be dying as a result of this, except maybe like when Surtur blacks out the eastern seaboard. Maybe that's an issue. Um, but... The, the harm isn't as significant, so the stakes aren't quite as significant. So when we are just being silly about it, then it's a little easier for me to accept that than, uh, I guess, the zombie episode. But um, just continuing on with what happens in this one, we get, uh, we're totally in like the hangover territory after this initial party. Rocket sleeping in the sink was awesome. Oh, and then, that was great. And of course, like hearing Thor in the background, like about the cute little rabbit in the sink was great. Uh, great callback. Um, meanwhile, Jane's phone is blowing up, whether it's her cell phone or the, the phone in the room. And then there's pounding on the door from Brock Rumlow. And then, of course, she finally answers. Jane does. And acting director Maria Hill is there. And because Jane was the one who first uh, alerted them to this alien threat, uh, they want her help in figuring out what's going on. But, I mean, that seems a little flimsy because, like, they don't really do it like... 
the episode doesn't do anything with S.H.I.E.L.D. recruiting Jane. Like, she doesn't help them in any way, and they don't even really try to get her to help. They just use the pager they already had to get Captain Marvel. So from a story point, like, I don't really see why there is the union between S.H.I.E.L.D. and Jane. Like, I don't see what S.H.I.E.L.D. brought her on for in the first place besides, like, what could have been a five-minute conversation. And then just realizing that she didn't know anything about Thor and they could have booted her out. Um, also, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. tends to just barge in, so I don't think they just, like, wait and while Jane, while they clearly hear yeah. stuff in the background and Jane uh, is trying to act like nothing's going on at the door. Uh, so that part just wasn't really, uh, wasn't really working for me, but there was enough silly stuff that uh, I was still having some fun with it. Like, I, I did have fun at the flashback of how Nick Fury was injured. Like, oh my God. of course, like him calling, Fury calling Thor Spicoli, and then Korg doing the cannonball, but calling it ball cannons into the fountain and knocking Nick Fury out uh, in the first place. That stuff I, I had fun with. And then as they're trying to sell the idea that there's a problem going on, like this party atmosphere from Party Thor, it's spreading all over the world. Um, but, you know, the epicenter now is is in Paris, where Thor is, is currently located because somebody was jonesing for some crepes. Um, and then they do, and then Maria Hill does what she could have already done without ever consulting Jane whatsoever, um, and that is paging Captain Marvel because Shield has dealt with alien invasions and Jane hasn't, so therefore Shield already has experience. They don't need Jane, but whatever. Uh, we have to keep people together to you know consolidate the story in this half-hour episode. So yes, yes, um, I'll I'll allow it, even if it is flimsy. Um, but yeah, like the whole like hangover motif of, you know, the morning after the foam party the night before. Yeah, there's some things story wise that, that don't totally sync up, but I was having enough fun with it. OK, so about Odin, I, I do think that there is a reason why he hasn't done the banishment, because without Loki and I think having a idea of having another, you know, uh, a, a son or, 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 you know, child to kind of go off of and know that like, if, if someone's not going to learn that, that there's always, I don't want to say backup, but that idea that, you know, there's always someone there there, they at least can take my place. If, if Thor's just going to be a forever, an idiot, you know, kind of right. idea. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly think that maybe I, I, I honestly understood it as, Odin maybe is just like just fed up and he's like it's hopeless he's like there's nothing I can do well you and know, I think kind of also I, I mean I would say to just use what's in this episode this Ooh. has to be a softer version of Odin right right because he has already, to be right? like well yeah. not just sleeping but like a softer version of Odin to like give Loki back in the first place and like mm. be trying to make amends with Laufey like right then and there as opposed mm, to, yeah. you know, continuing on the feud with like just just this unstable truce for thousands of years. So like I, I feel like there is some of that. And yeah, I, I think truth be told, like there is that comparison, like, you know, of Thor and Loki. I mean, obviously, if Loki's not around, then maybe Thor's not getting into the worst trouble that he was mm -hmm. getting into. Like, remember, Loki was the one who you know, planted that seed in, in, in Thor to like make Thor want to go to Jotunheim and of course do the bad stuff he did that got him banished in the first place in the first Thor film. So yeah, maybe this is a, a softer, perhaps too forgiving version of Odin. Um, and also, I, I think it's also uh, fair to point out that like based on the rules of this episode, if I'm going to say that this episode breaks its own rules or some of the rules of the MCU and criticize that, I have to be fair when it does seem to be being at least somewhat consistent, it's not actually definitively proven that Thor is causing like significant harm. 
uh, right. with his parties. Like, obviously, some things are getting damaged and, and whatever. Yeah, you know, booping Stonehenge later, that was that was a bad move. But, oh, God. I you know, that. but, like, and I, as I said, Surtur, you know, caused a blackout. That's that's bad stuff. So I'm not saying that there's no harm that's being done. But, but yeah. we don't necessarily no. see, like, lives plainly being lost in this. Right. Um, like Odin had feared when he felt like Thor started a war with Jotunheim and, and all of these things. So Thor's like, he's causing trouble, but it's more antics than like reckless endangerment, um, which again, you could argue maybe there is some of that with party Thor, but not as plainly and as blatantly yes. as there was um, in the first Thor film when that, that got him banished yeah. by Odin. Yeah. And so I, I took it like that. And the other thing you talk about shield, you bring up a good point. You know, normally they would just bust things down. Yeah. Maria Hill doesn't knock. Right. Well, right. But I think they also know you're also dealing, dealing with a nuclear bomb, essentially, with all of those characters there that are so powerful. You can't just barge in and try to act like you, you can just take them out because you right. don't want to honestly have them go crazy and, like you said, kill other people. So I I took it like that as well. I think they're just being cautious because they don't want to like they don't know what Thor's like. He could be a party animal. But for all they know, he could be party animal and then you piss him off and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, turns into, you know, Hulk smash and then, you know, takes Molnir and destroys everything. So there is, I would take, I, I, I bought into the knocking, like they're being safe, but they also know that there's keys to people yeah. helping them figure this out. The knocking was fine. It was more of the, I'm pretending I buy this while you, like, I can hear Thor in the uh, background. Um, we can right. all hear Thor in the background, and we're acting like that's not a thing. But then again, S.H.I.E.L.D. had Thor dead to rights, and they let him go in New Mexico in the first film. So you could say that, that there was a purpose behind that of, like, well, to your point, we can't beat him in a fight right now. So mm -hmm. let's... Um, let's try to see if there's any information we can get out of this person who seems to have developed some sort of friendship slash relationship slash romance slash whatever it is between Thor and Jane. Maybe there's something here that we can utilize. And then they ultimately realize that, yeah, Jane wasn't really of much value. And to their credit, they did kick her to the curb. Not that I'm saying Jane doesn't have much value. She just didn't have oh, I, much strategic yeah. value for them, at least not in a way that they were able to identify. Um, but then when we catch up with things in Paris, I love seeing Thor posing for, selfies with like the sovereign and you see high priestess Aisha I believe appears to be one of them and then frost giant Loki arrives and um you know th their whole like did you boom thing and like the I only boom in private and like the whole brothers forever line and brothers from another mother and all of those different things like that I was having fun with and it felt like it was nice to see that sort of performance from Tom Hiddleston, or I guess rather hear that sort of performance, although the animators did a really good job capturing it, because it is a very different sort of thing for Loki, I think especially after seeing things being so heavy for him in his own series, to just have something that's totally light and fun. Um, I did appreciate it in uh, in that moment. And then when Captain Marvel arrives, like I thought it was super cool, like the way that she was just hovering and glowing and you hear her theme from the Pinar Toprak score from Captain Marvel a couple years ago. So she looks cool, uh, super cool. And then I, I loved her like referring to Thor as White Snake because it's funny. Um, it's apt, but it's also true. It's amazing. It's true to Carol Danvers. Remember, she's 80s. Like that, this is her whole mm -hmm. thing was hair metal. So I'm and not so much grunge. But anyway, uh, so I was I was totally all about that and, and having fun with it. And Captain Marvel telling Thor 
that the party's over and him telling her to, to buzz off and saying there's, you know, a mid-guardian word for people like you. And, of course, there's the thing that we all think he's about to say, but he doesn't. And he says, party pooper. And then we're off for a fight. Like, the whole hammerang thing I thought was great. Um, but and, and Loki being so excited at this fight that's about to happen. Like, his whole, here we go. Here we go. Um, and that's kind of how I felt. Because Thor versus Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. I will. we are, of course, about to break it down and how cool it is. But first, I just want to start with saying how happy I was to see this fight happen. And this is part of the classic what if comic mm-hmm. book storytelling to me, which is, I mean, look, Marvel heroes obviously fight a whole lot in oh, stories man. that are canon and stories that count part of the timeline and whatever. We've seen plenty of that, whether that's 616 in comic books or the MCU, whatever it may be. But. If you want the one of the fastest ways to a pairing of characters so that they can fight, what if definitely solves that problem? And I think when you look at it from the standpoint of the MCU, it would probably be a lot more difficult to come up for a reason for Captain Marvel and Thor to fight right now um, in the sacred timeline MCU, whatever you want to call it. Although even the MCU isn't necessarily the sacred timeline anymore, is it? But yeah. You know, now I'm just thinking all Loki stuff and it makes my head hurt, even though like in a good way. I like Loki a lot and everything it did. But um, as far as this fight, I thought it was cool. And it was something that like people were wondering about right away. Like when Captain Mm -hmm. Marvel burst onto the scene, people were thinking like, okay, well, who is more powerful, Captain Marvel or Thor? We know Kevin Feige said that Captain Marvel's most powerful hero in the MCU at that point. Although I, I think now you've also got, you know, certainly Wanda, now that she's leveled up, I think it's cool. yeah. there's quite a debate to be had there. But nevertheless, this whole idea of this matchup of Captain Marvel and Thor is something that we wanted to see and, and something that was interesting. And the way they played it out in this episode with this uh, with this battle, I thought was a ton of fun. So like Thor versus Captain Marvel, I absolutely loved and was definitely the highlight of the episode for me. This is why this episode exists in the first place, right? That's is it get the party scene and have get Howard the Duck and all these different characters all in the same place and have them say, you know, funny things. But ultimately you have that and this main battle. And I gotta say, Sean, this is why I like the episode. If you if you don't have this fight and it's just some like ridiculous romp of something else, I probably don't like it as much, to be honest. I love this. And this is why I love Marvel superheroes so much in the comic books. They're always fighting. I'll never forget, um, for those who know, this is kind of inside baseball a little bit, uh, the Image Comics character Savage Dragon, and uh, he had a three-issue miniseries. And the third issue, this character attacked him and uh, out of nowhere, and he's a police officer. And the character, you know, at the, they all fight each other for the whole up, the whole issue. At the very end, Dragon's like, "Why'd you fight me?" He's like, "What? Well, I had to see how tough you know if you're tough enough to join our team." He's like, "What? What do you mean?" He goes, "That's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life." He goes, "It happens in Marvel comics all the time." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, it's, I, I, even as a fair. kid, I'm, I'm yeah." I was like, "That's a that's a fair point." Like that's a you know. And so anyway, I, I say all that because I love it. I think it's it's part of the fun of, of, of Marvel that you have these characters like fight it out. I mean, like Hulk versus Thor in the first Avengers movie, things like that. It's just fun to see it on screen. And in the comic books, it just happens constantly. It's great. And I seen it on on screen, seeing two characters. Now, 
Captain Marvel has definitely been powered up in in the comic books as of recently, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. I'm not against that by any means, but I'm just saying, like you know, she, so I never really see you haven't I haven't really seen her go toe to toe with other heroes per se. Um, I know in Civil War two there was a little bit of that, but nothing like we see even in this. So it was really cool for me to see a Captain Marvel character like in the MCU. She's super powerful. I know she's one of the top, you know, top tier. I would say Scarlet Witch is more powerful than her. But that's that's a whole different debate. Well, I think episode. we're talking about a different type of power set. And this is sure. why, like football, Paul, it's all about matchups when Dude, we're talking about this right now. When we're talking about hero. Well, we're talking about heroes versus hero fights, I though. Know, this know. is what makes it interesting. So because what. When we're talking about Scarlet Witch being more powerful than potentially Captain Marvel or Thor, which I think there's definitely a debate uh, to be had there. Yes. What's different, it's not like raw strength type of power. Like, she's going to do whatever she needs to do to stop you without even touching you, like she almost took out Thanos in Avengers Endgame. Whereas Captain Marvel and Thor is a bit more just raw physicality to their power levels, where it's strength with, like, I mean... They can take you out, obviously, without punching you, but it's also just part of their pure physical strength that they will try to punch each other. Um, and so you will get that part. You will get more, it will be a more physical confrontation between these characters. That's where, like, a Scarlet Witch fight may not always be the most fun hero versus hero fight. I think, I guess, what would be here a great hero versus hero fight for Scarlet Witch would be Doctor Strange, which maybe we would see in Multiverse of Madness. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But because it's two people with magic, like throwing magic at each other. And that's interesting. But the strength matchup of Captain Marvel versus Thor seems pretty uh, even. And that's why I think it's a more um, it's a more interesting fight because the the matchup is the best one for these two characters. No, right. This is like a total, you know, best offense versus best defense matchup football wise. If you want to use that analogy, you know, I so, would almost say best offense versus best offense. Like, you know, really? oh, that's fair. Well, well I mean. I guess from like I, I not like from my like total comparison yeah. of that. Like yeah. you're right. I would regard, say neither one of them really, as far as defense goes, neither one of them throws a lot of blocks. They're just throwing no, haymakers like at each that. other. I mean, I meant like a good matchup, but that's sure. what I mean. Like a good, like you really want to see what these you know people can do because you because offenses don't play each other, right? That's, that's what true. I mean. So like sure. I want to see like a you know a good offense versus good defense and that idea, not like the literal defensive yeah. offense. But but anyway, um. I, I love this stuff. This was handled great. And I, I keep saying it. The animation just keeps getting better and better. Yep. And I I I am, cannot wait because I'm assuming we're gonna get a season two of what if. Um I'm not sure if they've confirmed that yet or not. You're better at this stuff than I am, Sean. But I I just I'm really impressed. I cannot wait to see what they do with a season two if and if and when that happens. Yeah. Um I think they've acknowledged season two, sort of, but they haven't done like the full on, you know, sure, right. Loki sort of um announcement of it. Like it, it's it's pretty much it's a unofficially official, I, I think at this point, but I'm sure it's one Disney plus day away from being like a hundred percent formal because I think they're already sitting on it, truth be told. Like, I think they already know what the episodes are. I think they've already been working on them. I don't think it's going to be a, and I may end up being proven totally wrong here, but I don't think it's going to be a Loki season two sort of thing where it's like they announce it, but we have no idea when we're going to get it. I think when they announce what if season two, it's probably going to show up next year and and maybe around the same time uh, that this, uh, this first season did. I, I think I, I absolutely believe that, uh, 
um, what if season two is is already being worked on, already well underway, and and will be around uh, sooner right. than later. You know, relative yeah, it, to something like you know Loki's right. next season. No, and it was really cool seeing. Um, you know, the only thing I would say in this fight, which I thought was great, is I to me I, I think Captain Marvel is is the victor, obviously, and um, you know even though Thor may get an upper hand here or there. Uh, I would I, I would argue also the that the Thor you know sacred timeline Thor is a lot better fighter than this one so I mean you can't really well, go off I mean sacred timeline Thor is more battle tested than this one so exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah I mean sacred timeline Thor actually was I mean this guy's been going out partying um, that's we don't really get told that as being part of his history in terms of like the the Thor in the sacred timeline was always talking about his battles and glory on the battlefield and all of these types of things this version of thor doesn't talk about any of that like he's just been going out having a good time so i i don't know that he's uh he's obviously very powerful but sure not as as uh as battle tested as as i said um as far as the fight i mean i, I guess you could argue that it was a, a stalemate at the end of it although it certainly seemed like maybe captain marvel could have won if it continued on or the second confrontation that they don't ultimately have in the right. episode, but I'm with you 100% on, like, the animation, and I also liked, you know, going into some of the silliness and some of the parody of it, like, just knocking each other, like, all the way, like, and even, like, naming the places that they're going to, like, you know, knocking somebody from Paris to the UK and to Stonehenge, um, and also, it's cool to have Stonehenge there and Thor do the little boop to knock it over, not that it's cool that Thor did that, but what's interesting about it is that there is history there for the Thor franchise in Stonehenge. Remember, that's where uh, Selvig, who didn't yeah. appear in the episode, ran around butt naked uh, in Thor the Dark World. That's where he was uh, apprehended and uh, brought to get some help and ended up uh, stealing Stan Lee's shoe. So, um, yeah, having that sort of little bit of history of the Thor franchise kind of included there, uh, I, I thought was cool. And then um, also, like, you know, then, of course, Captain Marvel's punch... Uh, like punches Thor all the way across the Atlantic and all the way, you know, past the eastern uh, uh, eastern seaboard of the United States, all the way into the southwest region of the United States, and we get this great one-on-one action. Where when you're talking about the animation, the highlight for me was that fight in the desert. Um, that was the segment of it that I absolutely love with the back and forth between the photon blasts, the hammer strikes, yes. and then Thor hitting Captain Marvel with the lightning and then she just absorbs it. Like all of that was so cool. And then the way the fight like continues in the air and then all of a sudden they're going over Hawaii and then they go up in the clouds and we see like the photon blast, the lightning strikes, like all of that happening. It was just so, so cool. Like I was loving all of that visually. Um, thought it was really, really well done. And then we go back to Paris and Thor sort of ends the fight for the moment by pinning Captain Marvel with Mjolnir, and now we have arrived at my uh, yep. <laughs> my biggest continuity nerd complaint about this episode, because even though this is a a softer version of Odin, I don't think he would consider this version of Thor worthy. And then you might say, "Hold on a minute," because I would say the same thing. Hold on a minute. There is no enchantment on the hammer. If Odin doesn't banish Thor to Earth, then he doesn't do the whole whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy sort of thing. He doesn't do that like he did in the first Thor film, which is why in the first Thor film, prior to that enchantment, Thor was able to wield Mjolnir, even though at that time 
he had a lot of growing to do and he was not worthy, but he could wield it because there was no enchantment. And that was how I rationalized it to myself throughout this entire episode. This is why Thor gets to have Mjolnir is because there is no enchantment on it. Party Thor is not worthy, but it doesn't matter because there is no enchantment. But then he pins down Captain Marvel with the hammer like he did with Loki in uh, the Sacred Timeline. And the only reason that works, especially with someone as strong as Captain Marvel, because I think if it's just the weight that's involved, Captain Marvel is more than strong enough to lift up Mjolnir. So the only reason she wouldn't be able to is because there is an enchantment and she's not worthy. But if there's an enchantment, then Thor isn't worthy either. And so it shouldn't really work. Within the internal logic of this episode, that part doesn't work. Like, if you just take out the move, and I guess they wanted a way to end the fight, but find a different way to arrive at that sort of stalemate or whatever it is, or I guess you could say technically Thor, you could argue Thor won by pinning Captain Marvel at the end of the fight. That's how pro wrestling works. So you could argue that Thor won with that, but if you want to stop the fight, find a different way to arrive at a stalemate um, because this actually betrays everything else that's happening. Um, unless I, I have to say that there is an enchantment, but it's a different enchantment. It's not about being worthy. It's not about the, it's not about your character or anything. Maybe the enchantment is whosoever holds this hammer. If they not be a party, you know, be they not a party pooper, they shall possess the power of Thor and Captain Marvel as a party pooper uh, doesn't get to lift Mjolnir. But then I'm having to do too much writing in my own head in order to make this make sense. I, I think it's totally fine to leave some blanks for the audience to fill in and leave things open to interpretation and whatever it may be. But this is one where it just isn't working. And I shouldn't have to do so much work in imagining things on my own in order to make it make sense when, as presented in the episode, it plainly doesn't. So just find a different way to have that stalemate. That's all. And then we just we live with the idea that we never saw the enchantment in this episode, so it didn't happen, mm. and that's why Thor is able to wield Mjolnir freely. And this is probably my biggest criticism of the episode is that, like you said, Sean, I didn't really know what to make of that. Because, again, the the main problem with this episode is it does rewrite the rules of a lot of different things. You kind of have to, like, make up your own stuff, assume a lot of your own ideas and stories in your head to get to that, those points, which I think for what if is fine for the most part a little bit. This is where I would say where a lot of people are kind of like, what? When he did that to her, I thought for a minute, like, wait a minute but it's not enchanted at this point. So right. what, what, um, I was like, wait a minute. What would, and I started thinking, well, maybe if you put, you know, Molnir on a certain way, like I, we talked about before the episode and then you said, no, you, you know, that's not, that, that shouldn't work either. Cause you know, he can yeah. hold it. So she should be able to hold it herself. Then at that point, I'm like, right. well, yeah, you're right. It's yeah. So that is definitely a, a, a plot hole and, and something that probably they didn't really think about and just didn't really care about obviously and that's a little bit of a bummer because that is kind of a a big thing because if there's no enchantment on Molnir, then there shouldn't be a problem for captain marvel to grab that no right. problem to smack him in the head with it and the, and the show's over and if there's a so, different enchantment you have to explain it or if there's yeah. an enchantment you have to explain why thor is still worthy um yeah of whatever the enchantment may be whether it's from being like the Partey Prince makes him worthy because it's all about being the coolest party guy. Like, okay, fine. Um, but like, you do have to explain that. Like, this is one where I couldn't, like the Laufey one, 
I have criticisms of it, but it didn't really derail things for me completely because I was like, okay, well, this is one where I could say just a lot of things are different about this. But this is one where even within the internal story of this episode, they're operating by two different rules. Um, right. and, and that's where it's like, I don't care what lane you pick. There's an enchantment or there isn't, but you do have to pick a lane. Um, and that yeah. didn't happen with this. And so that's where I, I just thought it was sloppy. That is fair. And I remember when that happened, I did think I'm like, well, that's not, that's a little bit weird, not weird, but just eh, a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. And again, and I, I did understand that part where people had issues with and being like, well, this is too much. You know, I can understand that part of it. So I, I agree with those people criticizing that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, like I understand you obviously don't really want to deal with the whole worthiness issue because you want Thor to be able to wield Mjolnir and that's fine exactly. because of the way the whole mm -hmm. enchantment thing is. But if you make that decision, you have to commit to it the whole way, which means if you are doing that, you can't have Captain Marvel get pinned by Mjolnir because now you're you're breaking. As I said, you're you're operating at uh, you're operating with two different versions of the rule at different times with, with just whatever suits you in that moment creatively. And I would say just come up with a different way to have that stalemate. And then it doesn't really matter. Um, but anyway, I've uh, I, I've made my point there of why I didn't like it. So just moving on with the rest of the episode. Um, I, I really like the interaction between Darcy and Captain Marvel. Like the end of it is great. Like Captain Marvel saying things that I think maybe Darcy's critics would agree with of like, you're at an eight. We need, I need you to take it down to a four. And like Darcy just giving the thumbs up to that, I thought was great. Um, but even before that, like I loved Darcy getting the Top Gun reference for Goose and then just running with it and starting to quote it. Yeah. Um, that was uh, that was awesome. Um, what was also interesting about this, Paul, even though it's like mainly a Thor episode, I thought this brought up an interesting idea for Captain Marvel going forward because mm. one of the things about or the questions about a character like Captain Marvel is like she's so powerful. Like what how are we supposed to buy into this idea that anything is like physically at stake for her? Because as far as her power, she seems to be so powerful that she can just take on anything at any point in time. Like unless you're Thanos and you can sock her with a power stone, uh, which is not most people in the universe, you know, you don't mm -hmm. really have, she doesn't really have much to fear, but I liked that when they asked her, like I thought you could just take this guy out. Like one punch from you is supposed to be a nuclear bomb and her saying that, like, exerting her full powers um, to stop Thor would blow a crater in the planet. And she's worried about, you know, taking people down in the process that there would be fatalities. So then, of course, they got to pick, like, an unpopulated spot. But, you know, if you're in the middle of a battle and you don't happen to find yourself in a, in a place that is sparsely populated, then that is a concern for Captain Marvel that that might ultimately be one of the checks we see on her powers going forward, um, even in the mm. live action movies of, like, yeah, she's really powerful, but she ultimately has to limit herself because she doesn't want to take anybody, you know, take anybody out with whatever other enemy she's trying to defeat. I didn't think about that, actually. But I also got to wonder if if she's connecting with like, you know, punching Hulk or Thor with one of her fists or whatever. And that kind of power, you know, what, you know, if she connects will, will the impact of that, like being like an earthquake thing. Like, and I don't think so. Obviously yeah. in this episode, we see it. Um, we don't see that, but you know, what exactly her power level, you know, it is interesting to think about like what exactly our limits are, you know, if they aren't any limits kind of ideas. So yeah, I wasn't, I didn't think about that, but that's a really good point. Um, just because you can be like the most powerful 
person doesn't mean you get to actually use all that. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's been tons of times in comics, obviously, with characters that like they look, they you know they'll go out of their way. The writers will you know use a, something for them to kind of just go cut loose, right? Like I was reading something with Spider Man where you know he's fighting a bunch of low level uh, criminals. And he can't obviously just punch him normally, right? Like his normal punch because he would almost kill them because he's super strong. And then, you know, he fights someone he mentioned like, oh, I haven't been able to cut loose, you know, like this in a while. It'd be interesting if they had that in the new Marvels film where, you know, because now thinking about this too, again, bring up a, bring up a great point, Sean. If you're going to have a team up movie with Miss Marvel and Photon and, or, you know, whatever, which for, you know, incarnation she's going to be, um, you know what with all three of those characters you're gonna need to have a pretty powerful threat right for them to all team up for so what exactly does that mean are they gonna depower you know carol that move you know in this movie i don't think so but it's good it's food for thought like you have to give a threat that's going to be powerful enough for carol to like you know be able to cut loose on if she ha- you know if she has to right so it's it, it's it's really good i didn't think about that it's a really good well, point it just highlights the way that there or just highlights the point that there are different ways to achieve stakes in a story and, and achieve stakes for a hero because you know it and and i always feel like you know the the oh too powerful to be interesting or for anything to be at stake like i generally feel like a lot of that stuff is overstated anyway because we didn't have this problem with Thor for during the Infinity Saga, and he was obviously very, very powerful. Most of the time with these characters, unless we're talking about like the end of a story, the end of an era, like end of a trilogy, or like an Infinity War endgame type of scenario, I'm generally not that worried for the physical safety of the heroes that the movies are named after. They tend to survive. They tend to make it. So I, I generally, that's not really my issue for a character like Captain Marvel. And, and there are other ways to achieve stakes in a story that for someone like Carol, like maybe someone's not a threat to her, but they could be a threat to a lot of other people. Um, and that can be, uh, of course, the issue that she has to worry about. So there's all kinds of ways to establish stakes uh, within a superhero story, right. even for someone as powerful as Carol Danvers is. But this is just, you know, an example of maybe some of the things we might see. Like, there is a check on her power. Like, she could only use it so much. And then eventually, you know, yeah, like, she will just go full tilt when there's, you know, an opportunity to do so. I mean, she did pretty well when she unleashed her powers at the end of her first movie. And I don't even think that's, like, the ultimate level of her power. That's, like, her using it to... I wouldn't say her full potential, but to a much closer to her full, her full potential for the very first time. So she's already kind of used to having a, a check on her powers, but there is still on, but you know, she's not putting it in check as much as she was pretty much believed she had to for the Cree, but right. there is still some reason for her to maybe not go all out in every instance or for her to have to think about that. Um, because yeah, maybe it's not as easy as just, you know, letting out that nuclear photon blast type of punch. Um, right, right. But, and continuing on with uh, with the episode here, so Thor calls Jane and explains that he didn't do anything to destroy Alpha Star. It was already falling apart, and they were just kind of having a party on the way out, but they made sure everyone got home safely, including the baby goat, Gary. So it, it does make me wonder, okay, so, like, was it really that much of a problem here? I guess not, and there never really has been because there was the fear that Thor was destroying things, but I mean, he there was there was some damage done in the episode, so I'm not saying Thor wasn't a problem at all, um, but Jane and Darcy are pretty much against the nuclear option, 
um, even with Captain Marvel. So they get booted out. Uh, they're no longer part of the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. club that's going to help uh, resolve this issue. But then because Darcy figures it out and then Jane carries on with it from there, they figure, well, best thing they can do is call Thor's mom and they have to do that via Heimdall. Um, but there's some other things in there like Loki dropping the phone when Jane was trying to call and get in touch with Thor. I thought was funny. Um, Surtur, you know, melting the arm off of the Statue of Liberty. So, OK, he's obviously committing problems. You have the party moving to uh, Sydney. And as Thor is going to like slide down the opera house, like the interception with Captain Marvel, I thought was really, really great. Um, the sound, amazing. The sound design, like sound mix on that. Like that's one of the other things I, I loved about it is like, that's where, we, where you have an episode that's trying to be more comedic. That's a great way of doing it because it's this epic collision of very powerful heroes, but you barely hear it because it's so far away. And so it's the perception of the characters watching from the bridge as Thor was attempting to slide down the, the opera house in Sydney, like to just be like, it, it's so anticlimactic. It's just a little thud and then off they go. Um, I thought that was really, really well done. Um, and then uh, meanwhile, uh, we see that Selvig has checked in off screen, uh, helping you know, position satellites and whatever else so that Jane can uh, have boost a signal so she can get in touch with Heimdall, which based on with like Heimdall, um, you don't really have to like boost a signal like Heimdall can see and hear all um, more on Heimdall in a moment. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as that part of it goes, I thought it was a little silly, but I guess if Heimdall, as Thor says, wasn't really paying attention to Earth. Maybe you would need to uh, to boost the signal. But yeah, kind of a bad showing for Heimdall because like Frigga, before she left to go like visit her sister for the solstice after Odin went to sleep, specifically tells Thor in front of Heimdall that Heimdall is going to be watching Thor. So like, really, he just stops watching because Thor goes to Earth. Why? Like he knows that like the whole concern is that Thor is going to throw a party. Like, why wouldn't Heimdall keep watching? Well, the simple answer to that is we wouldn't have an episode if Heimdall kept watching. But then you need another answer to give or a better answer for why Heimdall wouldn't be watching if that's going to cause an issue for the story of the episode. Anyway, I digress, although not really, because that's a, a genuine issue, I thought, with the episode. Um, Heimdall ends up getting Jane to Frigga and they uh, they launch their plan to, of course, uh, stop Thor from doing everything that he's doing. Um, and so anyway, I, I guess, did you have any issues with, uh, with Heimdall, uh, on this Paul? Like I, I did feel like that's kind of silly. Like Heimdall's going to be watching unless yeah. you go to this. Uh, well, not if we go here, but why, why not? Yeah. Yeah. There was, again, this episode had a lot of just kind of go roll with it. And I, I get maybe this Heimdall is just kind of his own, he's a little more to just kind of whatever about his job. Cause maybe, maybe because hey, uh, when you don't have to watch Loki. Yeah, exactly. And maybe because Odin doesn't care as much, he doesn't care as much. That's true. So, I mean... Asgard's gone that. soft. Yes, exactly. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I, I do think the interception with Captain Marvel and Thor was one of my favorite parts of the episode. Yep. I laughed out loud completely when that happened. So, that was fantastic. Yeah. That part I thought was great. And it looks like it's going to be another big like superhero showdown between these two characters, which, you know, the first fight was so much fun in this episode that I would have been completely fine uh, with watching another battle between uh, between these two characters. It doesn't happen because Frigga interjects and Thor and basically says, Thor, I told you not to party, no parties. And Thor says he wasn't. 
that it was a study group that he was leading that went down to earth. Um, and so anyway, as flimsy as that is, Frigga doesn't really buy it. So she's going to be on her way uh, to see, see it for herself and want to review Thor's full syllabus to see if this is actually what was going on. And of course we know that, uh, that it wasn't. And still though, I mean, like we took, this is where like the internal mechanics of what's happening here don't really add up and, and don't really make sense. Like we just saw Jane like using, cause we know how the Bifrost works. It takes you from one spot to another very, very quickly. Um, and Jane just got teleported like to Asgard to wherever Frigga was visiting her sister for the solstice and then like going back and forth. And yet somehow Thor had enough time to go ahead and do like the full cleanup. So that part wasn't really working, but, it was fine because whatever, if we got the whole, well, I wouldn't really call it a, a Ferris Bueller because that was really just more about getting home. But the whole like cleanup as like mom comes home is is definitely part of the whole party motif that they're going on, going with here. And Loki and the Frost Giants trying to use like the St. Louis, uh, the St. Louis Arch as like the world's largest slingshot, I thought was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, like on the way out as, as nobody really wants to help Thor, at least not initially, like Topaz uh, ca- calling him a loser on the way out, I thought was great. And then Surtur, like, repairing the Statue of Liberty. Thor fixing the Leaning Tower piece of thinking that was something that they messed up, uh, I thought was good. And then when we get to the actual study group, like, the whole learning is magic. And, and Thor asking Frigga if she knows that Midgard is the birthplace of the Snuggie. Um, yeah, it's it's silly. And as I said, some of it doesn't really make sense. They're allowing Thor more time than he should have theoretically had. But this is the kind of stuff where I, I guess it, it's easier for me to be more forgiving because it's all part of the bit and it's all part of the joke. And it was probably my, you know, my least favorite part of the whole uh, episode. But yeah, I, I really liked the um, everything up until that. And then when Frigga comes in, I love that Ferris Bueller idea where it's it, it's, it turns into an 80s movie. And therefore, you have to kind of go, go with it a little more and have fun with it in that tradition. So in that sense, it's it's like whatever. It, it just kind of has to end at some point, right? But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I it it was just kind of a means to an end. Again, the reason why it started, the reason reason why it has to end, it's it's all whatever. But minus the obviously the big uh, reveal at the end. So right. But yeah, I it was it it was fine. I I didn't hate it. It was it was it didn't love it or or I didn't like it as far as like my my least favorite part of the whole idea. Minus probably this, I was Molnir on Captain Marvel. My probably my least favorite part of the episode with this. Those two things are my least favorite parts. Yeah, it's it's a little flimsy or more than a little flimsy. But yeah, I guess I don't bump up against it as much because at least that feels it feels a little more consistent with the rules because like it's a lot of the stuff isn't meant to be taken very seriously and they're not and it's not so much as a there's not really external rules to this, like outside of this episode, like there are with Mjolnir or our, our understanding of decisions made by characters like King Laufey. So it, it, this one is really more within the the internal world of this episode and its own sort of thing with this whole kind of party episode that, that borders on parody at times. So that's where um, I can kind of go with it. And yes, it's it's definitely the party movie trope of you got to get things cleaned up before the parents get home. So I understood mm-hmm. like the the function of it and I was having enough fun with it that I, I was okay with it. And then yeah, Captain Marvel trying to do Thor a solid and like help him cover for uh you know <laughs> try to help him cover for yeah. it. But then, you know, secrets out and covers blown because Mjolnir shows up 
with like beads and boxers and paint, which I'm like, Mjolnir was clean this whole time. Like, how does that anyway? Um, but I yeah. guess during the, the cleanup process, I guess Mjolnir got a little messed up. Um, anyway, the episode um, as, and this is, I guess, part of why it, it's harder for me to just like write off what's happening in the episode and just forgive everything in the episode as if like this is a, almost an anthology type of story where everything here is silly and it doesn't really carry forward in any sort of meaningful way in any other stories that are going to be connected to this. That kind of goes away by the end of the, even if you just forget about what you've seen in trailers and whatever, like that sort of goes away just based on the very end of this episode all by itself. Because when Thor goes to meet up with Jane, tells her it wasn't cool, but it was the right thing to do to call his mom and they agree to go out on a date and like I, I love that the watcher was surprised by what happened. Like the watcher thinks he's he's talking it up as you know a happy ending, and then he is genuinely uh, surprised when that portal opens up. And like the way he reacts to it, and the way he says like, "Wait, what?" And then this portal opens up, and these Ultrons come walking through the portal, including an Ultron who looks like Vision. It's Ultron Vision, Ultra Vision, whatever you want to call it, with Infinity Stones which points to probably our next episode. Like what if Ultron's vision came true or what if Ultron's vision became reality or what if Ultron achieved his vision, whatever wordplay they use with it. But this is Ultron theoretically not vision because remember what vision was supposed to be in Avengers age of Ultron. That was supposed to be Ultron's new body. So there's probably some timeline where during the events of age of Ultron, Ultron actually got to use that upgraded vision body so he should te uh, technically still be known as ultron not necessarily vision but it, it definitely feels like given that this is episode seven and we are going to get nine there are only two left i would imagine the very next episode will tell us where this version of ultron came from and uh mm. which and, and maybe some other stuff like we know there's a gamora who's wearing some thanos armor and that has wheels that thanos helicopter blade that maybe will also pop up next week. I'm not really sure, but it seems like that's where it's kind of leading us to is we'll find out where this enemy came from next week. And it all leads towards like a, probably a final confrontation with this version of Ultron uh, across the multiverse. Cause obviously he seems to be going in across various timelines and, and various realities, whether that's because he has all of the infinity stones, although should that based on, you know, TVA and things like that, should that really mm -hmm. allow you to do it? I don't know. Uh, we'll see what rules they use or break uh, in order to make that make sense Ooh. next week. Um, I'm not saying they'll break a rule. Maybe they'll find a way to actually have it make sense. I don't know. There's still plenty that we didn't know about the Infinity Stone. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and I'm, I'm prepared to roll with it, which maybe I didn't do as much of uh, as I was meant to in this episode. But I, I liked this ending and I, and I don't think it's just the ironic dangerous ending that we've seen with maybe some of these episodes like this i think is is absolutely going somewhere we are meant to be seeing this as something that is absolutely is building to something that will of course trans the events that will transpire over the course of these last two episodes maybe with a little bit of backstory uh for this version of ultron in episode eight but i really really loved it and you know it was cool as hell to see all those ultrons and one ultron with all the infinity stones uh with the vision body but then also as i said uh the watcher's reaction was a genuine highlight like mm -hmm. it seems like the watcher has been the one in this position to just kind of know all see all and, and just be a very very passive observer as far except for of course the interaction with 
uh, Doctor Strange Supreme back in episode four. But even that was it's not the same as this. Like we haven't really seen the watcher being so genuinely surprised by something. Um, and he was with this, which I, I think definitely helps sell the stakes of, of what's happening right now and the significance of, of what this event is. Yeah, you bring up a great point about how the TVA and that whole Loki series really downplayed. We talked about on those episodes, the, the all the gems and or the gauntlet and all that stuff. Infinity Stones, gems, sorry, old school. Um, well, so, as far as we know, though, just to, because it sounds like I was going to, you know, I, I took a shot there, admittedly, when I talk about breaking no, the no, rules no. next week. It's but, a legitimate point, though. No, yeah, but like to give the benefit of the doubt, we still don't know, like, were those Infinity Stones real Infinity Stones? And even if they were, whatever the TVA is seems to exist outside of timelines. And, and so, like, in right. that space, Infinity Stones may be depowered, just like Loki couldn't use his magic or whatever. So you could mm. still say that the Infinity Stones, it, it, just because they don't work inside the TVA doesn't mean that Infinity Stones only work in their native timeline. It just means they don't gotcha. work at the TVA. So one set of in Infinity Stones, in theory, could work across different timelines, as long as they're still in a timeline, as opposed to being in the mm. TVA, which is outside of it. So there's a way for it to work that doesn't actually break any of the rules that we've been presented for Infinity Stones in the MCU. And as I said, we we, we don't have like a definitive rule book for the Infinity Stones. So there's there's some room for them to to kind of play with in this. This where I will what I will say or hear, Sean, is if if this is truly uh, Ultron going in different timelines and all that stuff, which is very possible, if we're going to see Kang in the MCU, why wouldn't he have them? Uh, you know, have some form of of Infinity Gauntlet himself. Some you know again that's well, he's graduated episode. to another level again outside of Got time you. where you don't need him. Um, but that's, that's fair. You know, Ultron hasn't isn't able to at least so far. This version of Ultron yeah. can't exist outside of space and time. So within space and time, like the most gotcha. powerful right. thing are the Infinity Stones. Yeah, it, it get, this is where it gets a little complicated when you do that when you introduce that idea into which again I wasn't opposed to and I'm still not opposed to it. It gets things dicey. This was really cool. Oh no, this is I definitely the sort of thing you talk about at the comic shop like two hours past closing and the owner yeah. didn't oh, kick God. you out. Like <laughs> you're getting oh, yes. really nerdy um oh. uh, about the minutia of infinity stones. Oh and, and and I've had I think we've all had uh Sean these conversations of something like this besides oh, yeah. in the podcast before the podcast we you know oh, yeah. arguing about you know this or that or what this could mean and yeah yeah no, it's podcast only yeah. exists because eventually we figured out to record stuff like this but before yeah, yeah, like, exactly. it, it just happened like it's, like like, like like who would you know really win in a fight a real fight between Superman and Hulk I mean like that's yeah. I mean that stuff is legendary right so I mean there is a comic no, book that says Superman which uh, you know I'll always not be a fan of but I mean, I still yeah, have it, yeah. but it's funny you should mention that. We'll we'll get to that in later. Um, but uh, but no, this this was really cool. I did love the Watcher's surprise, mm -hmm. which, by the way, also I, I I appear to be wrong. It seems like Watcher is more like Watcher what he looks like. They went from that infinity uh, or excuse me, ex eternity aspect, and he's more like his normal self, um, which is a little bummed about. I kind of liked him a little bit, a little more specialized, but whatever. I love the watcher, so I don't mind. Uh, his reaction was great. Mm. That was a genuine surprise for me. And again, you've built up 
um, the watcher at this point where if he's surprised, that means you're surprised, right. which I like that. They've done a great job of really building off that, especially with that whole thing with um, Dr. Strange, right? That like he's, he's interacting with them. Like he already knows what's going to happen. Tells him, you know, tells him off. Mm-hmm. So when he sees Ultron show up with, uh, you know, the infinity uh, uh, stones, I'm going to call them gems again, infinity stones, um, it's a big deal. You're like, oh man, what does this mean? And I love, again, just going off, you know, one time I saw it, I love the design. It was really cool. Yeah. Again, I love the molding of all the things they did. So I'm very, very interested if this is going to be that, you know, we talked about that, that Avengers team teaming up against, is that what you know they're going to be? Is this going to be a watcher, you know, a specific grab team of people to stop this character going through different timelines. It's possible. I don't know. I have no idea, but I did like, I did like the cliffhanger and what that might mean for uh, future episodes. Yeah. But I also liked how the watcher, the, there was the initial surprise, but then the watcher got like excited about it at the end because it's, I mean, we are the watchers, right? We watch all of these events in the Marvel cinematic universe or multiverse. And so, you know, we we can relate, right? And we don't interfere because, right. well, we can't. Uh, so uh, we totally exist outside the story. We really are passive observers. But I like that he got excited about it because it's like sending the message of like, here's like the here's the shocking reveal um, that doesn't like reveal all. Obviously, there's plenty of information we still need to be given. But the shocking reveal and then like the, oh, this just got good sort of reaction to it, which points us in the direction of, you know, the finale of the this season across these last two episodes. Um, but yeah, I, I loved the ending of this. So I obviously have my quibbles and even more than quibbles with certain moments in this episode. And, and I think, you know, when I talk about the, it's not just the continuity nerd issues with Laufey or Mjolnir, these aren't the only things that, or, you know, some of the stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense, like Heimdall not watching. These are things that are, I, I think, valid criticisms of, of the episode, but it's not so much, when I talk about this one not being on the same level as the other ones, it, it's not it, It's not so much, I mean, it's better for me than the zombie episode, but that's pretty much the only one uh, that I would rate this episode above. It's not so much that what's wrong with this episode is so wrong that it completely derails things to the point where I can't enjoy any of it. I still enjoyed a lot of this episode where it, it maybe falls in my, you know, what if rankings, so to speak, or that what's great about this episode, it's not as great as the things that are great about other episodes, like the Killmonger episode last week or the T'Challa Star-Lord episode or Captain Carter. That there are other ones that just where the high points were just higher in other episodes. And because even the ones that had those higher high points, like they still had low points that I didn't like. We had our criticisms of the T'Challa Star-Lord episode as much as we loved it. But what I loved about that episode was so much bigger for me and so much stronger for me um, as a viewer that, you know, and had uh, much more impactful for me in a positive way than, than what I got in this one where this one was exciting and, and funny and, and had some great visuals at times. But what was good about this episode was a little more superficial in nature. Like, in, in looking at the entire episode across the board, like, I've always thought that the first Thor movie was very underrated in the MCU. And I still think that because I think it has one of the best character arcs for any of our heroes in the MCU in that first mm-hmm. film. 
And you know, we don't really have that here. Like Thor doesn't Thor doesn't really learn a lesson from this. Like I don't think he's necessarily changed by this. I mean, you could say, well, him saying that Jane did the right thing by calling his mom shows his progress and and that's true, but it's not like as significant or as meaningful as we saw in that film and that's not to say I expect the character arcs to be just as fleshed out in a 30-minute episode as they are in a two-hour movie. That's not what I'm looking for here. But I just think if you look at what's great about some of the other episodes of What If, there are those great character moments that you can point to, that it's not just the cool action, it's not just the stuff that's funny. You know, my takeaway from this episode is it almost felt like it was good in the way that people who don't like the MCU only give the MCU credit for being good, where they just say it's it's purely superficial, it's just about the laughs and you know mindless superhero action and, and all of that, which I, I wouldn't say this action was mindless. I thought it was well executed and well thought out and, and choreographed and animated and all of that, but it just didn't have the deeper, you know, more insightful character pieces happening within this story that the MCU generally does so brilliantly while also having the funny stuff, the quips and the great action and, and all of these things. Like the MCU is usually operating and and doing very well on more levels than, and I feel like other episodes of What If were doing well on more levels than this one did. It doesn't make it bad. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. I still enjoyed it despite some of my criticisms. But yeah, the highs just weren't quite as high on, on this one for me. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I I just loved all the fun things about it, the party stuff, and Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel versus Thor was worth the price of, of admission, and I I bought into it despite. Oh, yeah. I will you know, go back and rewatch that many times. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and and I think, again, I think the episode exists essentially to see them go toe to toe, which is fine by me. I have no problems with that. So, um, but yeah, I it's not my favorite what if episode, but it's it's far from my least favorite. Yeah, like I'm not trying to be like overly academic about this and say that I'm only into these superhero stories because, you know, as I have like my leather patches on my tweed jacket and my, you know, with my pipe and my glass, pushing my glasses up on the bridge of my nose being like, this is what's great about the MCU. Um, no, I, I, I love the action stuff and the humor stuff. Like all of that is a huge part of the appeal for me with this series and these movies and the live action series and everything that is the MCU but also all of that other stuff that I, I love so much and, and we talk about in detail on these podcasts. So yeah, this one just wasn't succeeding on, on all the same levels, but that's okay. Like it's, it is okay to just be the fun one. Um, and, and that's what happened with this episode for me, despite some of my criticisms, I still really had a lot of fun watching this one. And it certainly left me excited in, in a spot where I'm very, very excited and, and eagerly anticipating the very next episode and of course the the finale that will follow that but uh that sentence was the finale of this episode of the podcast thanks everyone for listening make sure you follow along at mcu fan show on instagram twitter and facebook and if you want to hear me talk about disney plus day and all types of other things on fan show plus well mostly marvel stuff and some non-marvel stuff Again, search for MCU Fan Show on Apple Podcasts. You can find our premium subscription directly through Apple Podcasts there to get Fan Show Plus, or you can just go to patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Paul, where can all these people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Um, and also next week, it's funny you mentioned Versus and Superman versus Hulk. I'm going to, I'll say here, 
Uh, I'm going to try, if not next week, the week after, I'm going to try and do next week. Um, we're going to do a retrospective of DC versus Marvel, um, the 90s comic books, where you could vote on who could fight, you know, who won whose battle. And obviously, we talked reference to Superman winning the Hulk's fight. We are going to not going to talk about the comics themselves, but kind of like the kind of the the, the um, energy around it and that kind of thing. Kind of like we did for our uh, Infinite Road to Infinity War. Just talk about that kind of time of life and comic books and what the what was going on and what what that meant for comic books when when DC Marvel did that with Amalgam and things like that. So it's going to be a little bit of a '90s retrospective, a little bit, and kind of talk about the comics, you know, a little bit as well. And just kind of just kind of overall that whole uh, time frame. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so check that out there. And uh, also the saga continues. My uh, Star Wars podcast. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 